Hi, I'm Dan Cottrell, editor of Rugby Coach Weekly. You're about to jump into one of our podcasts. If you want to find out more about this podcast and also all of the great content, drills, activities, games and advice on the website, then go over to www.rugbycoachweekly.net. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Be the best rugby coach you can be. Welcome to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with head coach Dan Cottrell, where you learn hints and tips from the rugby coaching community. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Cottrell, and I'm very pleased to, at last, after being prompted for many years by Alan Solomons to get on the podcast, Omar Muname. Now, Omar has travelled the world um, as a defence coach uh, and obviously played as well in his time. So, um, welcome to the podcast, Omar. Thank you, Dan. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, so, just quickly for our audience, um, you've got one of the longest CVs of uh, any coach I've met. Give us the uh, the highlights. Um, you are now, of course, a Bristol defence coach. This podcast is going out on the... Um, day after Bristol play Harlequins. So I'm getting you uh, in um, a nervous state. So we're going to have some nervous energy. So uh, I hope from Bristol supporters, and I'm a Bristol supporter, we'll get a cheer for you on Sunday. But uh, you are Bristol defence coach now, but you've done a journey to get here. So uh, give us a bit of a highlights. Well, highlights, I started with the Springbok 7s uh, and I did some work with the Springbok under-20s and then I was lucky enough to be picked up by Rassi Erasmus, who was doing the Stormers at the time, uh, obviously World Cup winner and World Cup winning coach, top, top guy. Um, and then from there, I did uh, multiple jobs. I did Sharks, Stormers, um, Leon, uh, Stade Francais, Worcester Warriors, Bristol Bears and consulted for a lot of you know first-class teams after that. Right. So now you find yourself in... Uh, with Bristol. I suppose my first question is, uh, you've worked with a number of teams over the years. When you first arrive, what what do you do to start off with? Well, I must be honest with you, in every single case, I've been hired as a fixer-upper. So like the Italian national team, they were in the toilet, they wanted to be picked up. Or Stormers at the beginning with Rassi, it was a rebuild. Sharks was a rebuild. So at the end of the day, the defense ends up being this default culture, which restores sort of order to a lack of results. So the first thing I do is when I get told that I need to come in and do the job, I just ask for all the footage I can get my hands on. I analyze the entire defensive system, watching every single tackle, every system, single system error. And I create a picture where I go, okay, but this is the direction we're going to go. Um, and I sit into motion and it, then it's all guns blazing. So when you say systems error, um, that suggests that uh, it's not the tackle you're looking at. It's the system. So, is it is a systems error something different to a tackle or are they are they into well, well I think they're interconnected. So I think so the easiest thing I do first of all is get to know all the individuals game. How, so if I was analyzing you, say you made 160 tackles in a season, right? You'd have made neutral, dominant, you would have missed tackles, you'd have been in lineouts where you know you fold well, you don't fold well, you make good reads, bad reads, you're in scrums where you you know you're not adhering to maybe the defensive mapping. So the total picture will come out of watching your 160 tackles. And all I do is I filter that into you know tackle technique, line speed, reading of the play, uh, functional movement, uh, you know, defensive fitness and I build a picture on you and I'll make a little dossier on you which will usually be a two-minute highlight video your own little highlight reel with the good stuff and the work-ons and some stats and we'll sit down and we'll go through the stuff together and most of the time I like to get the, the players impression first so I, I explain to them 
depending on their comp competence commitment, I will deal with them in a certain way. Either will be collaborative or I'll be quite commanding. But either way, I'll get their perception of their game and where they've been. And I'll give them my perception. And we'll marry the two perceptions based on the footage and the facts and the trends. We'll say, do you think this is a good way to go for you? He'll say, he or she will say yes. Boom. And then we roll it out. But based on a really in-depth connection between the physicality and the system, the system stuff. So there are obviously some players who base their game. Their game is all about their defence. Um, and they are, you, you, you know, these players are coming at you. Now, there are other players who are probably a little less um, defensively minded. I mean, obviously, every player's got to be able to tackle. How do you deal with them? Because obviously, they're going to come at you and they're going to fear you a little bit. Um, obviously, you're very cuddly and lovely I'm and uh, charming and all that sort of thing. But... Uh, you're going to have a pile of stats and a dossier. Now that sounds even scarier. So how we, how are you going to uh, develop that relationship with them? Well, you know, initially I'm, I'm going to build a rapport, aren't I? So, you know, first of all, at our level, you're going to have to defend at a point, whether you like it or not. But I, I'm, I'm not assertive in the way that I make a person feel uncomfortable. So I really get to know, you know, some guys, some, you know, they're Welsh, they grew up in Wales, they've got a farm, their dad was a farmer. You know, I inquire about their values and what's important to them and what makes them tick in the game. I ask about what makes them feel best when they're playing at their best and what their week looks like when they're playing at their best. You know, when they're playing at their worst, you know, what can they identify that's brought, brought them down? And I build that rapport because if a guy's, you know, values are a certain, has a certain set of values, a certain, a certain background, I will sort of augment my approach in that one-on-one -on -one immediately to sort of adapt to him or her. Um, obviously, I've always done my homework prior to that on sort of the cultural base and with what they're about. But to hear it from them, sometimes some profound things come through. person might be more insipid, more introverted, more extroverted than I thought. And I've got to really get a feel for them and then sell them their movie trailer. What's nice is once things are on film, you can't really deny you can't really deny what you see on film. Although I don't go, you see, you obviously can't tackle. You see your line speed is crap. Of course I don't. I just say, what do you think you could have done better here? Oh, my tracking was off. What you could have done better here? I could have stuck in the tackle longer. I could have competed on the ground. Okay, how would you do, do that for next time? What, what do you think you'd work on there in a training session that would get you there? And they start to come up with some answers and I keep guiding those answers until we get clarity. So when they walk out of there, I say, what are you prepared to commit to when you walk out of here? This is what I'm going to commit to to support you. And this is the plan. Boom. So it, it creates that connection between the two because if they feel daunted by meeting you, daunted by the facts and the trends, you know, they've got to feel like, wow, you, this guy really wants to be here for me. This guy really wants to help. He looked at 182 of my tackles. He knows every stat and fact about me. He made me this video. He took the time to listen to me about my mother, my brother, my sisters, my cousins, my aunties, and my dog. Well, this can't be a bad thing. And then from there, you just got to be really consistent and highly technical because there's no point being charming and not having the ability to change the game. So um, one of the things there which comes out, obviously, you build a very, very um, strong connection. The I suppose we look at some of the players and we wonder whether they have enough heart for the tackle. Now, at the pro level, does every player have that or do one or two players? And I obviously don't want to pick out anyone, any individuals, because that would be uh, awful. But there must be players who just do not want to jump into the tackles. Now, the reason why I ask that question is because... As you, as you know, a lot of the people who are listening in will not be working with pro players. Sure. Uh, who will, and they will be thinking, right, how am I going to just turn the corner with this guy who's not really putting himself forward? Yeah, I, I think I can relate to all levels simply because of the fact that even the top players, and you'll be shocked, guys who've been British and Irish Lions, guys who've been All Blacks, Aussies, Springboks, Internationals, 
not everyone's just a killing machine on defense. I can tell you that now. You know, some guys in three or four out of 10, and not because they don't have a heart. And I have this argument all the time. Is it because they don't have a heart? But when I do seminars, when I go back home before COVID existed, you know, I do two weeks of seminars on the road, hundreds of coaches and thousands of players. And the same story comes up. Oh, my guy's got no heart. Oh, they've got no balls. Oh, they're not tough enough. Da, da, da. And they're just a mirror of you. You know, at the end of the day, if they're not tough and they're not making good decisions and they're not physically capable, there's somewhere along the line you would have failed them because you need to have exhausted every route to the top of this defensive journey before you say this guy's absolutely useless and got no heart. And I always give the example of the boxer, and I think it's clear. If you've never boxed in your life and I start throwing punches at you, you're going to flail away like a scaredy cat because you're not used to that stimulus. If I take you to a boxing gym just for even three months and I teach you footwork, timing, combinations, boxing, conditioning, and then I make you go against your former self of zero experience, you'll be standing up, jabbing, fainting, moving, and your former self will still be flailing. Now, does that mean you're braver than before or more competent? The answer is you both. The competency and the certainty give you the bravery to say, I've seen the stimulus, I know how to dodge a punch, I know how to counter punch, and I know how to dish it out because I've been trained. But I think we taught tackling at a very young age for a small period, six, seven years old, not really great technique, not really conditioned, not really uh, adept at making good tackles. You end up hitting your chin, dislocating your shoulder, being concussed from a low tackle. You get fearful to tackle and then you don't get ta taught to tackle for a long time. And then when you get taught to tackle again, the guy says, oh, you're not a good tackler. You've got no heart, you've got no balls. And it's a perpetuating cycle that, that is hard to break. So to answer your thing is, I think some players are more have more of an affinity to be physical, but physicality can be a competency. And then obviously at the end of that long, long road, if he hasn't got it, then he hasn't got it. And that's it. But you have to exhaust all that. Yeah, so we're talking here about helping players to realize and understand uh, the way to tackle. Now, within that, there's obviously technique and also there is training to put those techniques into, into situations. So from... Um, Let's let's take your uh, take a, a professional player as as an example. The guys you're working with all the time, you're you're coming up with a player who needs to go back to basics. Um, where do you start with them? Because obviously, because this is a question I was going to come on to. You've got to worry about training loads. It'd be lovely if they could tackle twenty four seven all week and then be fresh as daisies for the game. But that's not going to happen. You've got limited physical time. So there's a balance between technique practice load how does that all fit together well obviously you know the periodization is done with the head of athletic performance so you know you've got your your periodized plan you know when you're hitting the nervous system on a high level of load and you know when you're deloading and all these things but what i would say to you is number one once you know your players you know what they need in their fundamentals so you can run fundamental sessions that are uh, at a medium intensity and you can run fundamentals that are high intensity depending on training minutes and game minutes of course um and, and how you make a player look better on defense all varies, doesn't it? Like, it's not all about boshing a guy. For example, a guy who's highly athletic but not as dense is a very dangerous defender because if he can read the play and anticipate better than someone else and use his athletic speed and explosiveness to get to the point where he cuts off passing lanes or jams receivers that are unsighted, his highlight reel is going to go through the roof. And that's a, that's a, a technical vision in real time reading the play thing. Um, and not really a physical thing. If he, he really is okay at tackling, you can make him look like a killing machine, giving him better decision-making ability in closing off players, for example. You know what I mean? Um, and so it all varies. And the other thing is, like, I always get asked, oh, you know, shouldn't you low tackle because that's easiest? You, you know, you get the guy on the ground quick. You know, unfortunately for me, rugby is about combat, and it's not about living life on your knees, praying to God the guy goes down with your eyes half closed. <laughs> um, so, you know, 
one of the cues we always tell the guys is if a guy's about to receive the ball of nine, for example, in a short corridor, you can take off quicker in a short corridor than he can catch the ball and move. He, he won't even be going a meter a second where you'll be flying off the line. So that is part of the sort of the, so the trickery, the dark arts of defense is giving them the cues to have the jump on the play or on the player so they even look braver than they are. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of nuances, but in answering your training load question, you're guided by the periodization, but there's always a chance to work a, a facet of the defense without clobbering them. So at Bristol, then, um, how many minutes are you allowed a week, roughly? Well, you know, we do a defensive training session of 30 minutes, plus minus 40 minutes, depending on the week, right. you know, of, of defense, just like most teams would. And obviously, right. you know, we'll, we'll run our attack as well. But, you know, I'll get fundamental times with the guys that need fundamentals. And some guys step up and always want fundamentals, regardless, topping up their chop tackling in terms of stopping pick and goes, or, you know, some guys are, are working their, their choke tackles, whatever the case is. I've always got fundamental guys that volunteer. And I've got a couple of guys that earmark and say, you know, it's time to come pay Omi a visit. And then they, you know, they pop in. But, you know, we've got a beautiful culture at our club, really great culture that Pat's created of, you know, being very self-aware, very diligent in managing your own um, level of your game. So a lot of guys voluntarily, the moment they need a top up, boom, they'll be there at fundamentals, you know. Oh, well, that's great. And uh, that comes um, as a whole team thing. It's not, it's not just up to the defence coach to be... Uh, yeah, so uh, hooking them out, it's uh, <laughs> everyone, everyone in there. So uh, thinking about the actual training itself, um, do you use various bits of equipment or um, how do you sort of work within the constraints that you have in terms of bone-on-bone uh, -on -bone tackling? I, I never do bone-on-bone. -bone. You know, there's always going to be the tackle suits. We've got really nice tackle suits, very functional, fit nicely. So you don't get the, you know, the bone bruising or the soft tissue injuries. You get that nice jolt where the nervous system gets the recall, gets the tension, gets the understanding of the stimulus. But it's always like a good sparring session of 70%. Like a, bar, a boxer training for a fight is not going to go to the KO level every single time he spars. He won't make the fight. <laughs> Same thing with us. It's just lighting up the body, getting that recall at the right levels. Obviously, starting off with the skill, always tracking, always timing, timing of the shots, different type of shot selection, maybe a bit of defensive breakdown, get that body fired up. And then you're into the collective and the drills, you know, but you, you need that nervous system recall and the testosterone to fly from the actual recall of the system making some shots. But, you know, it's controlled. You know, we're not pulling guys over their knees. You know, you're not stopping head on head, pick and goes. You're not stupid. You, you've got to do the right thing. So would you use uh, rock pads and tackle tubes or are they, are they not? For tackling, I, I will hardly ever use things like the, the tackle tubes. I mean, they're just, for me, depending on how you use them, most guys will put them up and the guys run from 10 meters like a donkey running into a wall. That's not tackling. You know, at the end of the day, if you do that, I'm sorry that I've said that, but, you know, we want stuff that's pra pragmatic. Guy's got the ball in his hands. He's moving. You've got to track him in real time. You've got to get your timing right because at the end of the day, if you just fly into that bag and no one's looking, they just pull that bag away. You'll go past it like Toro the Bull. It's not really a conducive draw, is it? Now, there's something. There's a couple of things that you've said in uh, that last little uh, answer, which uh, I thought were really interesting to pull out. Uh, the first one is this idea of the motivation and the, the, the change in your own feeling when you actually thump into somebody. So just talk about how that, that works for you, the, 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 the contact which then gives you that feedback, which then makes you uh, more likely to want more. You've been training the nervous system for contact. Yeah. yeah, so basically the nervous system's been around a thousand years and, and sort of rugby players, maybe their nervous systems have been trained to go in the gym, lift super heavy, become super stiff and not functionally fit. 
And over time, that is changing. So basically, your, your, your nervous system has receivers. So you're receiving information with your eyes. And there's inactors, which is all the, the messages going down your spine and your tendons and your ligaments, which tell you to contract or tighten or run away or whatever the case is. So the more you do of a stimulus, for example, the boxing example, I see the punches coming. First, I want to run away, fight or flight. Then I say, hold on, there's actually a solution. I can recruit my hand to block the punch. It's the same thing with the collision. When I see the ball carrier coming in the beginning, I want to flinch. Then I say, hold on, let's recruit the muscles, get the capsule in, promote my shoulder forward, and do, say, 40, 50% over time. So I get, oh, wow, I get that jolt. I get that little bit of a, uh, um, that hit feeling. And my muscles and my tendons start to get the body hardness. And then I increase it incrementally over time. Your nervous system says, ah, here comes that ball carrier. I actually welcome this feeling. I enjoy it. I go meet him. And I'm becoming more and more forceful until it becomes part of me that's essentially it so the idea that uh, the more to, to to say it in a different way the more that the players can experience a rough and tumble and get that uh, sense of actually this is okay that the better for them in terms of then taking that through into contacting matches 100% and you know there's a lot of studies done about it improves uh, your proprioception in contact so less soft tissue injuries less joint injuries like ACLs coming off you know, uh, um, uh, patella's being dislocated, tearing ankles, because you've got that stability in the shot. Whereas if you're doing less of it and you're keeping guys in cotton wool, you'll find when you release them into the game, you're having a myriad of injuries because they don't have that stability in contact and they're just hurting themselves. Okay, so that's quite exciting, I think, for coaches listening in, that they've got to create um, training situations where the players can get those, uh, those jolts and the jolts, every time the jolt works in the right way, obviously uh, there's some technical stuff to be got right there, then it makes uh, makes a difference. Now, the other word you used quite a few times uh, was the word shot. Yeah. Now, that um, that creates an uh, a interesting picture in your mind. So you use shot quite a lot. Why and what, what sort of uh, stimulus does that give the players? Well, if I'm firing a shot, it means I'm proactive. I'm getting on top of you. You know what I mean? So... You know, if you say tackle, it's like I tackle you. Yeah, I'm tackling the problem, but it's still, you know, if I defend well, it's like I'm defending, I'm, I'm defending myself, but I'm, I'm being, uh, I'm being attacked. Whereas if we say we're firing shots, that means I'm coming at you. I'm giving the impacts. I'm, I'm con- controlling the atmosphere of the impacts. I'm giving you the shot. I'm taking a shot at you, so to speak. Um, I find that's a lot more positive. And the guys use that language sort of in a lot of clubs. Even when I first get there, they've used that sort of language. I, I find it's quite powerful. So that sounds excellent uh, if I'm sort of, um, obviously I can, there's a chance for me to dominate the situation, but there's, there's going to be a time when uh, Nathan Hughes is going to be running at me <laughs> and um, I don't think I want to be putting a shot in on him because I think I'll bounce off. Is that yeah. the wrong way to approach it or should I be thinking differently? No, well, you should be thinking different. And again, you know, for example, these guys have tackled Nate perfectly well. And there's some guys will struggle to tackle Nate. Obviously, he's a beast. He's an animal. Um, however, you know, once again, we spoke about being smart on defense. So if I was going against Nate, which I have coached against Nate in the past, if you're catching Nate as he's receiving the ball and you're there before he can get the jump on you, you will tackle Nate. You're making a double tackle before he catches, as he catches the ball, you will tackle Nate. So it's about finding the solution creatively as well. You can't just see it as, here comes this juggernaut. There's nothing we can do. There are things you can do. Yeah. So uh, let's say he does start to rumble. I'm the last line of defence. Um, um, no chance, or what's uh, what's my solution? Well, it depends. You know what team you're in, what level you're at, and and how long you've been on defence. But I, I'll, I'll never get my guys to shy away from making that shot on Nathan. They'll go for him, hundred percent. Right. 
Right. You know, there's a, there's an interesting tackle of uh, you know Joe Cockenfinger is he's a big boy, isn't he? What's he? 114 yeah. kilograms, running full tilt from a counter attack scenario, full full bull, 40 meters, and Pierce O'Connor hits him full on, full impact, like two trains hitting each other and hits him backwards. And Pierce is doing fundamentals morning, noon, and night, and he is a great tackler. And I'll send you the clip. You can actually play it maybe in the podcast. That's training, man. That's yeah. training. Yeah. Okay, so uh, really what you've got to do is you've got to give the players confidence um, through the, the, the language, also give them the, the training. So um, just quickly, a couple of fundamentals that you would be looking for straight away when you look at a player. When you see the player, you see the clips, I know this guy's a good tackler because he does A, B and C. Well, normally a good tackler will move well, so smooth falls, doesn't touch the ruck, doesn't hold his shorts, he doesn't look top-heavy like he's falling over his own posture. So good posture, nice smooth folds, can take off the line smoothly, he's athletic, and then he's got you know good timing on the shot, um, which is rare. And I can tell you, even at the lower levels, you talk about working only with pros. Pros at the top level and people even at the third, fourth, fifth division, when you come into team to fix them up, you'll see the same commonality, not great functional movement, no smooth folds, plonky posture, and not great tackle technique. And these are things you can clean up just like that. Right. And just for people who um, may be not necessarily familiar with the word fold, what does that mean for you? Fold is when you go around the rack to get into place to make the, the next tackle. Right. Okay. Which is uh, sort of, we can, might call it reloading as well. So, uh, I mean, for some people, they won't be familiar with that. So, one of the keys, obviously, is to get your defensive line back into position as quickly as possible um now that comes from energy to a certain extent um you bring an enormous amount of energy just uh, just across the uh, the screen here um i just wondered uh have you ever met a quiet defense coach or are they all the same enormous amounts of energy mostly are enormous amounts of energy i'd say from my experience so um not everybody can have a defense coach and bring in uh, all that energy. So do you think you can coach defense without energy or do you think it uh, is a fundamental way of creating the right atmosphere to uh, be effective in defense? I think, you know, most things in rugby should be coached with energy and vibe. You know, you want the players to feel committed and vibing and energetic and almost fun-loving and on the go. You've got to bring that, you know what I mean? They're going to be a mirror of you. So if you dial there and you slow and you stop the training sessions to talk a lot and you know and you and you don't boss them from station to station in a good way like speed of transition speed of set to the next drill nice sharp explanation and move on you, you're in trouble you, you think about you know you get um navy seals and you get seal team six and navy, navy seals take nine months of hell to get where they want to go to but to be in seal team six the guys who caught bin laden that have done all the biggest sort of uh, terror terror um sub, uh, sort of rescue jobs in the history of the world will tell you when you want to go to seal team six what differentiates you is competency under under duress but the level of clarity in everything they do and the energy and the clarity it's just clarity energy clarity energy and 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 then they don't drop off because it's so critical they drop off you know, people get killed. So I think, you know, in rugby, you're not going to get killed, but you can get injured being sloppy and slow and sort of plonky. And obviously the results speak for themselves. If you lose four or five games at our level in a row and you're taking a big hiding, all your job's probably on the line too. So it always pays to be energetic and, and fun-loving. So um, we come to a training session and uh, you, you turn up and obviously your persona is energetic. What also is, uh, so simple things for coaches to do 
to get keep the energy high? I think you've sort of touched on already. So how do you keep the energy high in the in the session? Well, well, in the sessions that demand good energy, you've got to keep the energy high. I just want to make a point quickly that on certain clarity days and sort of installing principles, you obviously want to build your temperature up. You don't want to be you know, through the roof every single day. And that's not the case. So, you know, you're doing a review of a game. You need some key things knuckled down to say, look, this is what we got right. This is what we got wrong and so on. You're not going to be out of, out of your skin. You've got a nice tempo to what you're doing. You're solid. You're building up nicely. Then you go to the next day and it's your main training session, for example, preparing for Harlequins. Now you pick up the temperature a bit. You're vibing. You're energetic. You're not over the top, but you're leading into the training session where now, you know, it's like you want to, you want some instance things. So I think, first of all, you give them the parameters of what the training session is about. So first step is, you know, valuable information, be energetic, remember the clarity in the roles and what the key objective of this training session is. The key is tempo, tempo, tempo because of who you're playing, for example, and these parameters. This is what I want the session to look like and sound like because of who we're playing. And then you knuckle down those parameters and boom, they agree to that. So everyone on the same page, yes, we agree that agree that's clarity. Boom, and that's what you roll out. So you're not going in at uh, 100% full on it is building it up depending on the situation now within the, within the session let's say um you start to sense that the players are maybe flagging a little bit again is it uh, is it through your actions or is it through the design of the session that you can just change things up what 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 do you what do you do to just up the temperature well i think Number one, you've always got the head of performance in your ear on the mic saying, you know, we're running over meters, you know, or we're standing still too long in explanations, whatever the case is. So imagine we're actually standing too long in between explanations. I'm keeping it short, but players are talking a bit too much in between or the tech that's running against us is like having a big story about a running line that you're just like, you just override that. You'll go, hey, hey, too much chat. Next job. We'll talk about that. We'll watch the video. Flush that mistake. We've got to go again, for example. All right. Or they might say, listen, we've gone over the meters. We need to pull back. Let's have a longer break. In which case, if they say, let's have a longer break. We'll bring them in and say, two quick things we're going to change in the next two minutes are going to make a difference in this in this next set on D, for example. So you're, you'll raise the temperature and pull it back according to, obviously, the conditioning stats. But also, you can tell from body language and timing and time wasting or overexertion, wasting energy, how you sort of uh, pull the, push the throttle or, or, or pull back. Yeah, so I like that idea of... Um... Right, we'll leave that next job, and yeah. so it gets it gets put to one side. We can come back to that at a different time. Let's let's concentrate on the things which are important. Or alternatively, let's you know we're going to slow things down for a little bit. I mean, most of us won't have a performance coach in our ear, but you can also sense it as you well. You can see it. I mean, yeah. um, and the, there are times when you say, "Just a moment, guys. We're going to have to just we're going to take okay. a moment and uh, oh, yeah. get ourselves uh, ourselves ready." Um, so we're going to change the energy a little bit now and just talk about some of the technical. Um, now, the, the tackle height law hasn't changed, but it's been um, the referees have got a much clearer steer on what's going to happen. Uh, this has been far more prevalent this year, uh, this season in particular. Has that changed your approach? No, because I think it's like anything. Um, if you train the skill of it, your timing gets better and the the execution gets better. You know, you look, we've made a lot of tackles this year. Our, our defense has been in the top one and two the whole year. Uh, we only hit upstairs, but mainly, you know, 10% of our tackles, even less on the legs. And we've had no issues. We haven't had a myriad of red cards and yellow cards. When I was with Worcester, two seasons in a row, we made the most t- tackles in the history of the Prem, over four and a half thousand. You know, I don't think we got a red card or a yellow card in that, that time. So it's about 
you know, training those situations so you can level change, make your shot, get good timing. Because what's the difficult part is ball players, ball into your hands, lots of threats at the line. You have to make a quick decision on who you're going to hit. If your posture is crap and you're plonky and you don't make a good read, and, oh, suddenly you see him at the corner of your eye, you chuck your arm out, boom, it's a high tackle. Or you don't check your feet and you don't change your level in time because you're not athletic to do so. Head clash. You know, that's on you because you need to be training that skill under high speed conditions. So lots of action at the line, a lot of ball players at the line, decisions to be made, boom, and timing to make the shot. That is the key. You, you don't, like Pat always says, is a really, really good point. You don't change the parameters because, oh, I can't keep up. So, my, I, you know, I, I run into people with my face. So let's just make a new tackle law. Let's just tackle low to save everyone the hassle. Well, what about the tall guys who can't get down there that are tackling just fine? So you don't lower the standard. You up the ability of the players. They must meet the standard of the system. If the system is up here, which requires accuracy and good execution, well, then you need to train until you get there. You can't just take the shortcut and go, oh, well, just get his ankles. You know, who cares about offloads and momentum and winning the game line? You know, we'll, we'll just lower the standard. No, you need to up the skill level. So there's two things in that. Uh, the skill level, obviously, is very important, but there's a great, um, there's a large dollop of decision-making in that. Yeah. So you're getting the players to think intelligently about how they're going to make the tackle. And also you talked a lot about the level. So we'll just come back to level in a moment. So in terms of the decision-making, how are you going to help the players um, develop that? I mean, there's obviously not going to be one magic drill activity, but there's going to be a whole range of things. So what are the things that you're doing roughly to help them make better decisions so they are... Um, once they're at the line, they can choose the right option. Well, obviously, once you've done your fundamental blocks of basic tracking, basic movements, getting the tackle technique up in a simplified version, then you just keep building the complexity, you know, and the progression thereof. So eventually, it'll be a mini unit drill where you know the French teams play on top of you. So we're training for Bordeaux or one of those teams uh, that we've just played in Champions Cup, where they like to play on top of you, super heavy, pop off the floor, scrum off, got a lot of heavy guys running at you then you'll train that scenario and talk about roles, who's got who, you know, why C does this, why B does this, why A does that, that's ABC around the ruck, by the way, and so on. Um, and you get that clarity and then you run that dynamically until you up it at a point where it's almost game uh, intensity. Um, and then you just make the correction. So you take the footage of the training, you go, wow, did you see that? You got sat down, you looked in for too long, you didn't see the guy coming across your blind side. Or you looked out, you man watched, the guy cut you on the inside with a show and go. And then we just pick up the footage and we just fine tune, fine tune, but it's really a dynamic situation. It's really a lot of activity simulating what they're going to face in the game. And it helps that they go into the game after that, of course. Yeah, so uh, we, we, I was going to ask a question about uh, systems in a moment. Sure. Um, but uh, just going back to um, the, the levels, just talk me through what what that means so, the, so people can understand. Because you've talked about it. I think um, well, I'm getting the idea it's the height that you're yeah. going in. So just, just tell me a bit more about that. So the level change is like my ability to fly up and check you as you're going to make your move. So maybe you can step me left or step, step me left or step me right. I mean, that zone, we call it like the check zone. The check zone is the zone where you're actually a genuine ball carrier or a decoy. So if you're a decoy, I read your decoy and I get off and hit the right man. Or if you're a ball carrier, I get to that check zone where I check you, you make your move, then I make my move. That ability to change levels so that I get you and I hit you on the right spot as opposed to one speed where I fly through and we collide heads, or I'm so nervous to move, I wait back too long, and then you end up running over me anyway. So that's midpoint where I get into your space, I check what your movements are going to be, and I'm able to change just that level, just my height, to go into you and make the shot in the correct way so I don't hit you in the face and I don't head clash you. you know? And that's a timing thing that you really need to train. 
So we're not uh, we're not talking about making um, a tackle around the legs here. We're aiming at the body. Yeah. Um, so there must be some advantages and disadvantages about that, or are there only advantages? I don't see the disadvantage. So remember, in modern attack, what is what does modern attack want to do? So they want to keep the ball alive. You know, a lot of people are saying Ronan Agora said keep the ball alive. Well, KBA has been around a long time. Everyone's trying to keep the ball alive, popping off the floor or floating in the tackle and so on, or staying at the game line, staying on top of you. The only way to stop that is if I hit you upstairs and I soak up the time that you can offload, that you can't offload, you can't get the game line of half one. And if you go to the ground as a ball carrier and you place, if I make negative tackles, all that happens is the cleaners who come in, they tackle the tacklers, they flatten the breakdown, they lie on top of you, they block people coming around on the fold or the reload, as you said, and they're just getting this continuity. Whereas when you hit upstairs, you can't offload, you can't go to the ground easy, you can't place easily, and then you can't have your, your cleaners supporting and, and blowing away the defense as they come in. So it's got a myriad of, of benefits. Whereas a leg tackle, you've only got that option, you miss, you're gone, number one. Number two, you can offload in the air, on the ground, and then when your jackler comes in, he's been hit by like three guys, boom, boom, or, you know, smashed away, cleared away completely, big crater around the breakdown, and the attack's got a lot of room to move. So, you know, I don't, I don't enjoy that. Right. Okay. So uh, I am, let's take this right back to, uh, let's say you've got a 10 year, 11 year old turning up for their first session and um, you're there to help them tackle. Where, where do you start? Do you start with the, 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 the tackle above the waist or do you go low? Well, what would you do? Cause I'm just trying to think now, cause obviously we can see the advantages of that. And to a certain extent, there's a, it's a little bit safer because you're not going to get less of a chance of getting a knee in the face. Um, how might we, if we thought that was the way, uh, do that? Or would are you saying maybe with an 11-year-old you might not do that? What's your thought? Uh, well, I'm, I'm so glad you asked because everyone says to me, oh, but you've never clo- coached an 11-year-old. Well, I coached my, t- my sons under 10s and 11s and the rest of his schools, A, B and C teams, under 9 to under 12 yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a year and a half ago before COVID. And um, I taught them to choke tackle, okay? And we gave them two easy principles, barring the tackle technique. When the ball's lifted, we're going to take two steps. And when the ball's in the air, it's a race to catch that ball carrier. It's a race. You don't let him breathe. You're like a swarm of bees. You're not going to all come in. The first three guys in front, as the ball's in the air, you're going to move to that guy, and you're going to hold him up and swallow him up. And the rest of you are just going to realign. Mate, incredible. The amount of choke tackles we pulled off after one training session, incredible. Now, some parents ask me to work on the leg tackle. Now, let me explain something to you about the leg tackle. It's really, really technical, and it's very hard to train. Because if I told you now, let's do some tackle practice, and I said, you're going to low tackle me, straight away you're going to get nervous because I'm going to step you a bit, you're going to hit the ground hard, you're going to knock your chin on the ground, your elbow might hit the ground, dislocate your shoulder. It's quite rough training a, a, a low tackle. So unless you're a wrestler who shot double leg takedowns and very explosive from high to low, it's not a practical tackle, to be honest. So if you think in the short corridors where there's not a lot of space, the guy's about to get the ball, and I fly and I meet him, I will almost, with line speed, always catch you upstairs. You know, why would I go? Because this is the, the mistake coaches make is in a short corridor with line speed, I fly up, I go, I stop, and I dip to make the low tackle. Yeah. Here's this big kid goes, oh, thanks for putting your head there, squashes your head into the ground, or bumps you like a rhino and you sleep. And all the boys gave me the same feedback. They feel scared to low tackle. They do. And, and I think... If, you, if you're going to teach them bad low tackling, you better rather teach them some principles of line speed and how to tackle the choke tackle because it, it's more pragmatic. 
It really uh, is. No, it makes it make, uh, makes a, an enormous amount of sense as well. I think one of the hardest things for certainly young players who aren't developed, um, don't have strong cores, is bending, bending over and <sighs> keeping themselves balanced. And of course, as soon as you bend over, your chest is facing the floor, your fa- your your eyes are not looking ahead, so you're not going to be able to make the right decisions. Um, I mean, a long time ago, um, some defence coach talked about high, low, high. When you've you've got to arrive high, and you only go low right at the last moment if you're going to make a low tackle. But you've got to keep your your body height at the the same thing. So I'm interested now in the, in the systems, and um, uh, we sort of mentioned it a bit before the podcast. Um, it's uh, there's a system around the ruck, and um, over the years, uh, lots of defence coaches I've spoken to. Um, have their own system and it almost becomes a, a badge of their this is my system I'm going to call it this way but obviously things have moved on a little bit now and it's a little bit more sophisticated but in terms of a very basic system what should coaches be doing to start off with when they're organizing their ruck defense well ruck defense is about roles isn't it um if you take it purely on isolation of ruck defense it's about understanding what sequence of arrival you want. So do you want the first guy to go around, further out to fill the next guys in and then get closer to, to the ruck? Or do you want your guy to come around and take his first place? I don't know, you call it pillar, I call it A. Then the next guy comes around at B or second pillar and the third guy comes around. It's about what order of arrival do you want and why, why do you think that works for you? For me, um, I like my guys to come out in, 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 obviously, depending on the numbers that they need to fold, say three guys, is come out C, B, then A, because it gives you the width from inside and the ability to push. You know, you see a lot of players, especially at the lower levels, they'll touch the ruck, they'll battle to get round, he put up his hand and say, I'm A, he looks in, the next guy's battling to get around him, he's passport control touching him, then his mate touches him and they passport control each other and they take half an hour to get round. I prefer no ruck touching, pull over, slide, CBA, and get ready to take off. That, that for I'm, me. I'm enjoying that passport control. Uh, <laughs> uh, for people, obviously, you're listening on the podcast. What that means is that obviously uh, you're patted down to check if you're carrying <laughs> weapons or, or that sort of thing. So, uh, just to reiterate that point, then. So, the the idea is that um, a ruck forms and who should be in place first. Now, in the, in the old days and probably still now, the the, the first guy comes in, what do you call him, A, guard dog or whatever, he's, he puts his hand up and he's in position and everyone else sort of takes their position on him. So really what you're suggesting is that you get your person, the, the C defender, who's the third defender away from the ruck in place first, and then everyone fills in okay. from there. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, there's risk and reward to that uh, because if they pick and go, then... That, that's going on. But one of the senses that the, the C defender or the third defender will be trying to read that if that's going to happen. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, obviously, in your 22 and they're starting to pick and go, you're not going to run out to C, are you? No. You know what I mean? So between the 22s, more than likely you're going to do that than do it right against your try line, mm-hmm. for example. The other thing is, if you're doing what I'm telling you, like double hit, slow the ball, no offloads, battling to get to the ground, the opposition, the life out of the speed of their ball is going to be taken out. So it's going to be like five, four, three, two, one. By the time they go down, CBA are right around and ready to push. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Whereas if you go ABC, it is a lot more cumbersome. It's a lot slower. But the way C comes around is like a babysit. He comes around almost at pace. And as he sees nine picks up the ball, for example, he'll hover between A and B and buy time to force him to pass or buy time for the guys to come in. If he just plonks himself at A and no one arrives, that scrum off will run around him completely. Yeah. Whereas C is actually the midpoint. So if he pulls and he's about to go, you're slow. And Shem, I'm here. And if he steps inside the negative, we'll catch him. 
But if you just go plonk and nine gets quick ball, he'll go around that A anyway, who, yeah. who, who parks. So that's why I don't like it. And also you're battled to get the width and fluidity. The pass ball control also intimates like it's slow, it's plonky, I'm not looking up. Whereas you force them to cut the corner quick with three guys. You're not touching each other. You round quicker than you can say howdy doody and you're pushing off the line with width, you know? Yeah, I like that. Howdy doody. If you're not in place before <laughs> then, then you're in, in trouble. Now, um, do you, again, some defense coaches I've over time um, will be saying, right, this is the exact spacing. But I'm sensing that's not that that's not what you should be doing. Again, what, what sort of sense are you trying to give the players of how they should be spaced uh, from the ruck? Well, I'll answer it by asking you a question. What is the number one key attribute of a top defender? If he's already conditioned, he's a good tackler, what is the key attribute to answer that question? What attribute would he have to have around spacing? What is his key attribute? Um, well, that's, that's put me on the spot now. Well, I'm, I'm thinking, well, first of all, if he's athletic, you want him to get off the line. Um, and the second thing, I suppose, is uh, he's confident that... Uh, the he can guard the space to his left and the right. So I what suppose would, it's what would make him know that he's at the right spacing? If you want it on decision making now, uh, you know you don't want to prescribe. Not one meter, not two, not three. You don't want to prescribe. So he's a good defender. He's fit. He's healthy. He needs one key attribute to make him make good decisions on spacing. What is that? Oh, I'm right on the spot here now. Um, is it um, uh, is it a sense of who is who's he, who's next to? The, the player next to I'm, I'm what, 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 what is the attribute if you had to name an attribute what would it be uh, what, what would he need in his armory good what communication that would, communi- that's obvious i sh- i never sh- i tell my players not to say communication and, <laughs> and it's actually not not about that well i mean i think that um it's um if i'm a good defender it's my ability to um see the play and then um, intercept the player before they're in a position to to come forward. So it would be the speed I get off the line to do that and to intercept the player. But I'm not quite sure. So you had it, uh, you had it the first part of your answer. They said it was your vision. So the ability to read the play, right? Yeah. So in real time, my vision, the ability in real time to say, that scrum off, let his forwards come in and put, his, put their hands on the ball in a pick and go position, crouch, ready to pick. Now, I wouldn't stand two meters from the ruck, would I, if they're about yeah. to pick and go? Yeah. So my vision tells me they're going into a pick. I'll call pick spacing. I'll call pick, pick, watch your pick. I'll go right against the rack, say half a meter, and I'll be ready to stop the pick and go. Mm-hmm. Now, if he tells those guys who were about to pick and go, go out, go out, off me, off me, and they got into a double latch three meters away, you'd call a different type of space, and you go, whatever your call is, traffic. I used to call it traffic. There's traffic coming short there. We call traffic, and we go one, 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 because we've seen where the attack is. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so your vision in real time helps you Compress your defense or widen up your spacing. That's basically it. Well, in, in a funny way, I've sort of fallen into my own trap there because the reason why I asked the question in the first place <laughs> was that um, I, I feel that um, often defenders don't make enough decisions. They, they, they follow a pattern. They've been told to stand uh, arms distance apart, uh, ABC, this is your role. And we've taken away, in a sense, their decision-making. So what you're now saying is that really... They are, when they arrive in whatever position, they are not arriving because they've got two players on their inside. They're arriving in position because they're looking up and seeing, right, this is the most likely thing which is going to happen. I've got to be here in order to, to cover this space. Yeah. So, you know, obviously different levels do it differently, don't they? So like a world-class player, 
his ability to have in his vision and his reactions in real time are very close together. Mm-hmm. He comes around the corner, reads the play, knows his role in the play, nominates and does his job and adapts. He's like, boom, 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 clap of a hand. Mm-hmm. Whereas a guy who's at a lower level, fifth division, third you know, C team in a fifth division, he comes around blonking, he barely looks up, he man watch, oh, that pick and go, oh, gone. Or he looks at the pick and go, by that time it's too late because he's what he sees and what he knows what his role is and what he must do about it is like, oh, that's why scenario planning and training under pressure gives you that ability to make good decisions, to get that spacing right and know who you're taking. Oh, brilliant. Well, I mean, that, uh, uh, I'm really pleased that it was me who uh, answered the question incorrectly. And then we got to probably where I, I should have got to in the first place. Uh, <laughs> good. I, didn't, I didn't set it up that way. I, um, <laughs> it uh, it fell, fell that way. Omar, uh, I know you've got um, a lot on your mind with uh, the Harlequins game coming up, and I really hope we, we're, we're smiling together on <laughs> um, Sunday morning. So um, apart from, obviously, the role with Bristol, you've got this fantastic uh, website. Um, do you just want to tell us a little bit about that and uh, how people might be able to get involved with that? Yeah, so I've got a website called whistletowhistle.com and it's whistle with a two, a physical numerical two, whistletowhistle.com. And I started it during lockdown when lockdown first hit us really hard because I get a lot of DMs on you know all types of social media. Guys are really lost. They don't have drills. They don't have tutorials that are meaningful. And I thought what I'm going to do is I'm going to use my experience to create meaningful tutorials and give real deal information, not like pie in the sky stuff. You know, guys do webinars and masterclasses where they get a little taste of real deal stuff and then they're excited for a week and they go oh i don't actually know how to implement it what were the steps and how do i really do it or they spend five six thousand pounds on going overseas to go to a clinic to feel wow motivated and oh you have only two drills to implement so i created whistle to whistle.com which is defense defense coaching uh defense and kicking game coaching but also leadership and and how to manage a pro team in a sense or manage your team in a pro professional manner so it's got lots of tutorials on defense on kicking game, on periodization, um, and game management, essentially. Um, and it's been really, really successful. It's been going well, obviously, with COVID, closing down rugby at a point almost full-time across the amateur level, slowed things down a bit. But people were really responsive because the tutorials gives animated versions of, of game plans. It gives proper live drills. And it's got me, like we are now, but on a screen recording software, talking through the key principles, and they're coming up in a listed fashion, and it's everything sort of you know pr- tutorial-based. Um, I really wanted to create something like that. I think is meaningful for people and we've had a good response. So like, you know, a guy says, how do I start a defense syllabus from A to Z? You know, how do I implement three sessions in a row around rock defense? And there's a good progression. That's all there. We even have something on there where we've got two things, which is all access. So you can buy all the drills that takes you through a whole year syllabus, or you can get guardian angel. So for example, I've got a guy now, I can't tell you who, but he's, he's helped many universities and schools, but he's a first-time director of rugby. He's got no clue how to periodize the year, how to make sure they're ready for the warm-up games, how to have a defensive system, kicking game system, you know, what to do when and how to do it and what intensities. So he signs up for Guardian Angel where he gets the drills and the intellectual property, but the periodization and the guidance where we analyze the training sessions and we're there every step of the way, like we're on his staff almost. Um, and then he gets like that sort of, rush of six games and a, you know top flight tutorials and then you know hits the ground running and he's on his own and if you know if he wants to reconnect then they, they reconnect but in that period they're under eye guidance and supervision and i've got a lot of top consultants who've worked with me from around the world from big big leagues that assist in this as well and it's been pretty successful brilliant well that's fantastic and i will put a link uh, to that uh, in the blurb as well for people to connect and i think the other thing which is certainly coming across uh, well, I'm, I knew this before we came on the podcast, is that uh, 
it's very easy to be uh, known as just a defence coach, but actually um, you have to be all things uh, because you cannot fit in uh, with the culture and the environment and everything else which goes on there and not then develop the players because otherwise everything you implement is... Um, it's, it's on its own. It's it's in it's in isolation, and that's not not what defence is about. And a lot of that's come across. So, Omar, it's been brilliant for you to um, share your energy and uh, your excitement, but also the detail behind it. And some of the things there has made me really think about um, my, my approach uh, to it. So, thank you very much for your time. Dan, it's an absolute pleasure. I hope I, I didn't uh, shoot your ears off with all the uh, explanations. <laughs> no, 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 not, not, not at all. And I'm glad that uh, I uh, fell into my own trap as well. So that's, uh, that's, that's even better. I'm so, pretty pleased I didn't fire off any swear words. I've got better like that. No, so, no you're yeah. very good. I think you said uh, the, uh, the crap word once. So that was, uh, that was, that was yeah, even, even better. Brilliant. So uh, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. This is um, podcast goes out on Rugby Coach Weekly. If you want to find out more about the podcasts, go to rugbycoachweekly.net and click on the podcast button and you will find links uh, to Omar's site and some other interesting ideas around that. So thank you, everybody. And uh, we'll speak to you again soon. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast. If you want to hear more podcasts, head over to RugbyCoachWeekly.net and click on the Blogs tab to catch up on any episodes you've missed. We look forward to speaking to you again soon with more insights from coaches and experts from the world of rugby, sport, and learning.